It's the Sod Pod. Brought to you by Grassland Agro. The Sod Pod. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode three of the Sod Pod. In the last episode, we covered in-depth fertilizer calibration. Uh, if you didn't hear it, I'd advise you to go back and have a listen. Some really useful points in that. Today, we're going to talk in detail on first cut silage. I suppose I'll go straight over to Sean McMahon. Sean, what would be your recommendations for fertiliser and the likes for managing first cut? Yeah, James, thanks very much. Look, I suppose we're very close to, to Patrick's Day now and farmers are thinking of going with our application of fertiliser for the first cut. Very, I suppose rates will, will vary depending on the type of product that uh, farmers are spreading, the amount of slurry that's going out. Uh, generally, what you would find is that some farmers is going out with, with slurry, so anywhere between 2,000 and 2,500, possibly 3,000 gallons of slurry. And then the amount of slurry that you're going out with will depend on the compound or the straight nitrogen product that you're going with. So just a couple of things. Look, at I suppose the rough rule of thumb is uh, 100 units of nitrogen in the form of bagged fertilizer and slurry, roughly 16 units P and 100 units of K. That's sort of a, a recommendation for an average cut of silage. But as we know from our sustainability program last year, whenever we were taking the first cuts of silage and measuring them, uh, they're well above the average. I think the average, John, was seven and a half tonnes of, of dry matter per hectare. Yeah, that's including the north as well, Sean, which would be on a more multi-cut system. And generally we'd see uh, a lower yield because they'd be cutting that much earlier. But on balance, you're in around seven and a half. And and then for a, a, a two-cut system or a one-cut system, you could be looking over eight ton, nine ton even. You know, so huge offtakes there, as you said, Sean. Yeah, yeah. But I, I suppose, look, at it's the 116 and 100 is just a rough rule to, to go by P indexes, whether if they're one or two, you might need to go out with a small bit more P. And if you're at the K index one or two, just I suppose for anyone that's going with slurry, if you're at P index one or two or K index one or two, a thousand gallons of slurry, the P will only be 50% available to the crop at index 1 and 2 for P and about 80 or 90% available at index 1 and 2 for K. So, David, I know you've done a lot of work on on the role of phosphorus in the plant and that. How important is it getting out that P for a first cut of silage? Yeah, very important, Johnny. Um, and and it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive one. And even before we go with the, the N, P and K, uh, Shawnee, a big one is, is grazing out that, that silage sward. Very important. And I suppose the reason being is is, is over that winter period and even into the spring you know that plant is is actually storing energy um and i suppose when when that sward is grazed off you're getting a bounce and growth there and and you'll get a much better response to the to the nutrients the npk you're you're putting into the sward so very important and uh, on from that then look you, you talk about phosphorus if, if it's slurry or, or compound very important for tiller and, and and establishing that plant and a healthy plant and and the other one is on the phosphorus is getting enough phosphorus in, into the crop itself. Um, I suppose the cow has a, a requirement over the winter um, for phosphorus for, for maintaining herself, for, for growing a calf. Even, I suppose, when you, when you talk about that transition period before calving down and after calving down, a uh, big demand for phosphorus there. So it's very important that, that there is pea in the, in the plant for, for the cow. And you talked about slurry there as well. Potentially 50% available, you know, 
on an index one or, or two and, and, and that's because there, there is no fertility there to support that, that plant. I suppose when you go to an index three or four, 100% of that slurry is available because there is nutrients available in the ground that, that are going to, I suppose, um, kick on that, that growth. But I suppose one major one there, Sean, is trying to get those swords um, grazed out. It's, it's very, very important. And uh, I know, John, you, you often talk about that grazing and I, I think it's a, it's a great point about early fertilizer application even. Yeah, I, I always say that the best fertiliser in springtime is actually a grazing. And everyone's delighted to hear that because obviously it doesn't cost anything. But uh, the reason for that, as Dave says, is that the plant has basically senesced. It's dormant over the winter, Shawnee. Mm. And what happens then is you want to go out and kickstart that regrowth. The other thing is, well, if you look at your silage crop, you know, that, that grass that you've carried over is going to be a little bit yellow. You know, it's going to be poor quality and we want to... I suppose, turn around that sward so that we can maximise our NP and K inputs and, and sulphur as well, which is critically important, especially in silage. One thing though, Sean, I suppose, I, I didn't realise probably that there was as many fertiliser and soil fertility experts in the country until the price of fertiliser uh, came as bad as it is, like, and everyone has their own two cents in it. And there's a lot of debate about whether you should do build up or whether you should just try and feed the crop. And and I suppose for, for what's critically important is to understand that we are actually growing bigger crops. And that's the key message here. Because the advice that people are talking about is for the five ton. So what we're talking about in relation to P and K buildup for, for silage is only actually meeting maintenance because we're growing these eight, nine and ten ton crops. And that's what a lot of people are missing. Uh, you know, there's the constant debate whether, you, you know, you park your soil fertility build-up program. But what we have to recognise is that the advice for that one or two cut system is actually wrong. And and I suppose it gets a little bit nuanced when you start to talk about, you know, the timing of the applications of those nutrients. Because we don't want to cause uh, luxury uptake, as Dave said, by, by creating imbalances between potash and magnesium in the silage. So that's just something that we have to be really clear on is that the actual advice that we're talking about is only about maintenance and feeding the crop. We first have to understand what the crop is, what the yield is. We know from all the data that we've collected that it's eight or nine, ten ton in places. And that means that we have to spread the P's and K's accordingly. Dave, would you agree with that? Definitely, John, yeah. And and it's just as as you're talking through that there, John, a big question that, that often comes around and, and and we might even talk about it there now is is that early slurry application on silage ground. And a lot of silage ground probably has got slurry now at this stage. Um maybe maybe in late January or something. The question is, is often there, w- will that still support a first cut crop? And and I I would say it would. Um, those nutrients are still there there's very little grass been growing over that period and there's a I suppose a massive opportunity there to I suppose think about how much NP and K has gone in and, and account for that early early slurry that's gone in what, what do you think Shawnee would you agree with that? Yeah 100% but I suppose one thing you said there on the slurry going out in January like I suppose further north the dates was that bit later and I know for a fact that a lot of farmers just with with a, a say a heavier farm didn't get out with, with slurry didn't get it with animals so they weren't going to get out with slurry and I suppose growth rates over the over the winter has been anywhere between four and six kilos up up my neck of the woods in Monaghan and 
there's a lot of grass on farms do you know there's a lot of farm average farm covers well over the thousand so that sort of limiting I suppose like if you have 14 or 1500 of a cover on your silage fields they're probably not going to get slurry if you're at index 3 and 4 for P and K you might get away with going with a straight uh, nitrogen product and getting your P and K's put back on later in the year but it's kind of critical at this stage, I suppose, Sean, when we look at it, uh, slurry testing, whether it's the lab version or even we love the slurry hydrometer. That really gives more of a true reflection of what's in the slurry. John, like you, you'd be a big advocate of the slurry hydrometer. I would, James. Yeah, it's a very useful tool, practical, simple, cheap, cost effective way of actually getting an understanding of the, the dry matter of your slurry. And, you know, using the green book, then we can reference the actual MP and K content. I suppose one thing that we've seen in research that's been done, more of kind of a survey based research, is that, you know, some of the, the figures that we thought we had in slurry you know that five five thirty per thousand gallons is actually a little bit higher especially in potash this is one that i suppose links heavily into it is that what i often find is that you have a, maybe a nutritionist and an agronomist and an advisor going into a farm and sometimes they give the advice that you know you shouldn't be spreading any potash on your on your silage but it's really critical to understand how soil fertility affects yield and the key thing is that just because you're on low p and k uh, soil tests or you don't spread much P and K doesn't mean that you're going to end up with low K silage and I often argue if we could grow grass or crops without phosphorus and potassium why do we bother testing silage why do we bother spreading P and K and it is really important to understand that to grow grass you need a minimum or to grow silage uh, you need a minimum of 3.5% phosphorus and and two and a half percent potash, which equates to three and a half kilos of phosphorus and twenty five kilos of potassium per ton, and the plant simply just won't grow. It won't maximize the full potential on the day unless we have those nutrients available. And that's how soil fertility limits growth and the lack of our fertilizer is that if we don't have the nutrients available, we can't maximize the crop's growing potential. And that's something that gets mixed up an awful lot because. People are saying, don't spread potash. And and the other big one, Sean, is that you'd hear that because you're on low P or K ground, that your 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 crop of grass silage is going to be low on P and K. Mm-hmm. And that's completely not the case. You can see that because the plant is, is not being able to maximize its uh, growth potential on a day, that it's slower growing and it needs that minimum critical threshold of P and K. So it's always going to be in around the two, two and a half percent of potash. So look, we're after saying that the dry matter percentage of the slurry will determine the NPK content. We've seen a range from about 3% to 9%, as high as 9% on, on some of the samples that we've done. So NPK, you know, some farmers have been surprised. They thought that the K content might have been a wee bit higher than it was. They were thinking it was in that 30-32, which would have been the rough rule of thumb for a 7% dry matter. But it was maybe closer to 20 and the peas have been higher. But if we take a scenario at the minute where we have a farmer that hasn't got out with slurry, P and K index is pretty good, what would you be advising a farmer to go with? Yeah, so I, I suppose like there's there's no slurry gone out yet. Um, what I would be recommending is to use your slurry to its best um, um, or its most effective use. And, and that would mean that you one you get out there and get a graze number one as we were saying that's most important then you follow up with your two and a half or three thousand gallons of slurry um you can use that to displace the chemical nitrogen this year um and that's also where those nutrients have come from originally so you're only replacing what you've taken off 
and to be perfectly honest, I don't feel that we if we miss an application of slurry, it's very, very hard to make up the deficit of P's and K's because there's a limit to how much slurry we can apply. So if we grow a, a, an eight ton crop, we're after taking off 200 kilos of potash and we're closing up for a second cut, we go back with two and a half, three thousand gallons of slurry. We've only 100 kilos back out. So it's really important that we use it. I suppose this year there's been a huge push to use in slurry on milking platforms, but it's really important to go back to core principles. All your nutrients have been have been taken from that silage ground. They need to go back there to close the loop. And um, that's that's really important. The other thing, as you said, is that we talk about using slurry to its maximum effect. But if we have a farm that's in a deficit for soil fertility, we're never going to be able to build without bringing in additional phosphorus or potassium because we're in we're in our overdraft. So if you take that forty percent of the farm is suboptimal for potash, all we're doing in that situation is we're if we're solely relying on slurry, is moving that potash around the farm. But we're never going to actually get up to to clear the overdraft unless we bring in more potash. The the one that's really important and I I felt it was missed on a couple of different webinars and podcasts and stuff like that that I've listened to is sulfur. You know, everyone's raving about the price of nitrogen, rightly so, it's very expensive. But sulfur is absolutely critical in relation to, to utilising nitrogen. Um, this year it's more important than ever. It's not a massive additional cost, but in a, in a crop of silage we should be aiming for 16 units of sulfur. Um, so there's big demand for sulfur there and we need to make sure that we can satisfy it. Yeah, that's that's very good. But say from a practicality perspective, if some, if some silage ground this year is good for peas and keys but isn't say there's too much grass or for whatever reason a portion of the farm portion of silage ground doesn't get slurry is it a compound fertilizer that you're trying to get up to that 80 90 100 units is it a straight urea product this year like what what do you what's your what products are you thinking in that scenario yeah i would i wouldn't like to uh, listen uh, you have to be conscious of the cost of course but like relative to the response of nitrogen uh, the silage crop you're going to get your most effective use mm-hmm. you know because you've such a long growing period and relative to the nitrogen in and the kilos of grass growing it's it's going to be the most beneficial augmenting that then with your phosphorus potassium and sulfur is going to be very important so in that instance i would love to farmers to maybe think about going with a with it with a, a typical silage compound so mm-hmm. the likes of cutsward or, or nutricut mm-hmm. um something like that that you'd actually be able to replace some of those uh, offtakes that are going to, to come into effect as, as you carve the crop. Three and a half or four bags per acre and you're getting sulfur in with both of them compounds. Yeah, well, with your, well, I, I would usually go one is to one with Nutri-Cut, um, even though they're slightly lower nitrogen um, because it has more efficient forms of nitrogen. So you're going to get more benefit from it. Um, but the sulfur are critically important, I'd say. Dave. Yeah, John, sulfur, massive one. Yeah, look, I, I suppose get, getting back to efficiency of nitrogen and that it's uh, it's it's absolutely crucial. Uh, I suppose getting down to the, the t- technology and the and the chemistry behind it. When we talk about those amino acids, it's essentially I suppose of those twenty amino acids, two of those acquire sulfur. I suppose that's, that's where the sulfur is coming into. Sulfur is is probably in a deficit. I suppose nationally c- compared to before, with I suppose the burning of fossil fuels been been cut out and reduced to, to to some degree. But I suppose the other thing that there is sources of sulphur coming coming through are slurry in that you know two and a half thousand gallons. You you could be talking maybe 
maybe two units um, of sulfur there. So there are small bits, but yeah, look, I, I suppose on, on the low fertility ground, definitely a compound with the slurry. And, and that's crucial because we talked about the availability of that. Because when you go to slurry, slurry onto low fertility ground, some of that is going to build building the fertility and it's not all going to that crop. So yeah, look, it's just a, an important one to keep in mind there, John. Yeah, and one of the big things that we've seen as as a result of the the crisis in in Eastern Europe is that the the reliance and and the cost is higher, um, and it's something that we have to get away from. Anyways, is our our reliance on imported protein from a sustainability point of view. But I suppose something that I've been going on about for a while, Dave, is that we have to treat our grass silage as a protein crop, mm-hmm. um, and there's a massive massive scope for improvement. I think the national average silage protein content is only around 11 percent and that's a key area that we can improve on and and using i suppose selecting the right form of nitrogen the right timing and making sure that our p's and k's are right and that we're supplying enough to feed the crop because they're also critical in producing protein and making sure that we can maximize what we can do on farm that's critically important sean and it's one that we need to focus on yeah, so look, at I suppose to to reflect back what we're after saying there, ideally, if we're not getting with slurry, try and get with it if, if it's practical and go with a compound fertilizer. Uh, we talked about, say, going with a bit of slurry and a compound fertilizer. We talked about, say, between three and four bags of whatever product. If you're going with, say, the likes of a NutriCut to phase release nitrogen, you're able to go with a small bit less compared to maybe a cut sword type product. But I suppose there are some farmers, there was talk of farmers taking P&K holidays this year, but I think there are a lot of farmers are actually addressing still addressing the soil fertility issues and if there is a P deficit uh, say P index 1 or 2 50% is going to be available in the slurry we're going to have to maybe go with a higher compound P so going with something like a, a Nutricot or maybe a Topfoss or, or something like that because we're going to get our best response early on in P and even put, putting monetary values there, Sean, on the, on the slurry side of things, you know, is 25 euro per thousand gallons w- would have originally been the, the value on slurry. But I suppose this year with the, with the price of feed and, and fertilizer, that's actually 40 euro per thousand gallons. So big difference there. So it's, it's very important that we're using it as efficiently as possible. And look, a, a big one there is back to the grazing. If there's young stock in, in the shed still, ground conditions are good, get them out, get them, on, get them onto the silage ground, get it grazed off. Silage is going to be very, very valuable this year. It's it's an expensive crop to grow with the price of fertilizer this year and in comparison to feed, very, very costly. So I suppose silage in the yard is, is money in the bank essentially. But the, the costs that are being quoted around replacement first cut silage are based on the five ton dry matter per hectare. You know, like your your contractor costs are going to be fixed. We're going to know, we're going to know, I suppose, the investment that we make in fertilizer. So we have to measure it. Any farm that you go on to, any farm that we work with on the sustainability program, and if they are measuring grass or they aren't, we can turn around to them nine times out of ten and say, I'm going to grow you more grass this year by not doing anything differently, only measuring the silage. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the reason that we, as you commented, Sean, we have such poor side fertility on silage ground is because we haven't been fully accounting for it. Really important that we don't skimp on the P's and K's. And I suppose it's critically important that we measure it. But the replacement costs are going to be much lower for silage then people are making out because they're assuming that we're only growing to grow five ton dry matter per hectare. Then you, your, your cost of harvesting, your cost of fertilizer. But as Dave said, getting out and getting that grazed. And from our experience, obviously, we're, we're proud sponsors of the Grass 10 and the John and John D and, and Joe do brilliant work there on that program. But as we've been going around judging it, I suppose what you find is the, lad, the lads 
and ladies who are growing the big tons of grass. They are the people who are grazing their silage ground once, if not twice, and they're measuring it. And that's contributing a lot to their overall annual tonnage. So that that's really important that if you want to get out your silage ground, get it grazed early-ish, then come back in, use it as a fail-safe in around the 1st to the 5th of April, whip it off again, fertilise it and get it up and running. Yeah, and just, you mentioned one thing there on the, say, a soil fertility build-up programme, John. The important thing is to get the right product in the right place at the right time, but it's really, really important to follow up and actually measure what's coming off so that you can match what's coming off. And that's that's how you're going to get to where you want to go either at Index 3 or Index 4 in the shortest period of time possible. And just another one there, Les, that we, I suppose we didn't mention was, was lime and like if you if you take a, a closing up a first coat of silage, there's nothing wrong with going at lime there, and you might be worried about having lime on, on the on the leaf or on the grass. But if you think about it over a five or six week close period, if you don't get a shower of rain over that period, there's not going to be a first coat of silage there. So there's no problem about getting that lime down into the base of the sward. But yeah, look, it, it's 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 a massive one because you take a hundred units of nitrogen that's acidifying the ground. You're growing a seven ton crop, more acidity, bit of rainfall look there's constantly acidity acidity been added to the surface it's just trying to reduce that and and i suppose get get more efficiency out of what's going into it yeah and if you've missed the boat which hopefully you haven't it'd be worth considering going with a granular product uh, just to try and uh, minimize the effect of of ph because that's going to be absolutely critical in 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 trying to maximize the nitrogen use efficiency just on the slurry we're taking a lot of dry matter tests and some farmers are sending them off to labs to get to get tested but i suppose just to for farmers to know that the np and k the nitrogen in the in the slurry is about 40 percent available with low emissions in the springtime and 30 percent with splash plate and then depending on your index for for p if it's at one or two the, the p is going to be 50 percent available and the k is going to be between 90 and 100 percent available oh that's great sean and fair play and let just to slip into one final topic we've just slipped past st patrick's day here now obviously milk fever is something that we need to be looking at already at this stage and what are the measures can be taken to relieve that pressure milk fever is one of those that um we have to look look at in relation to our potash applications it's it is something important maybe i i I mentioned the the agronomist and and the nutritionist sometimes being at loggerheads that's really about the timing of our potassium applications so um making sure that we don't exceed a ratio of one is to one nitrogen to potash when we're going with our final application of nutrients and trying to put out our, our our potash build as early as possible so that's in 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 the back end or else going with that january story is absolutely perfect um, you know, to, to, to try and build up our potassium levels. James, there's one thing we, we forgot to mention for Dave, and that's to make sure and get out and roll your silage fields before <laughs> before the contractor gets in. <laughs> I was chatting to Pat Corbett actually just before we went on air, and uh, he said he's just greasing up the roller and, and, and hooking it on, so he'll have it all done for Dave by the time <laughs> by the time we get we get back. Another thing I forgot to mention, uh, but uh, Tony Kelly is back. Oh, uh, scored two twelve there in his first out, and so he's absolutely flying it. That's great, lads. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up there now. Just some quick takeaway points there. Slurry management: the amount of slurry is dictated by the compound of fertilizer you're using, and your soil results. Always keep an eye on them. Obviously, a huge demand for pea for the cow at calving down. Ensure there's enough in the ground from the grass to the feed. And as John said, you need at least three point five percent of pea for that to grow at all. Slurry hydrometer. 
a great, cheap, cost-effective, time-effective way of getting your nutrient value out of your slurry using the green book. And, of course, aim for 16 units of sulfur. Thank you for tuning in. Mind yourself out there. Farm smart. Farm safe. Hey, thanks for listening to the Sod Pod. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more, head over to www.grasslandagro.ie or check out our social channels. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. That's all for this episode. See you next time.